Greetings in the matchless name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Um, it's always wonderful to be able to share from God's word. And it is particularly a blessing to share with a group of men who are pursuing the heart of God. So it's a pleasure to be with you this morning. I want to make sure that I rush to express my thanks to Pastor Jack Eason, a friend for a number of years and a dear brother in the gospel ministry. I want to thank all of the Men who have served to lead us in worship and also to guide us in sessions um, to bring us closer to our Lord and to our purpose. I also want to thank my dear sisters who helped to feed us today, which is an put your hands together. Yes, indeed. Yes, indeed. Praise Jesus, my God Almighty. You could probably tell I've been to a lot of church in my years. I have shared in the gospel, yes, indeed, and it spoils. Thank the good Lord. Thank you for that wonderful meal. We are truly grateful. Um, allow me to read a passage of scripture into your hearing, and then I will do my best uh, to do what my grandfather would say, tell the story or walk you through the text and see what our Lord has to say to us this morning as we close this time together. Uh, if you open to the Old Testament book of 2 Kings, I would like you either in your, uh, your hard copy of God's Word, your physical copy, or on your phone. Uh, you can do that as well. 2 Kings, this Old Testament book, chapter 6, and I'm going to read a narrative. It's going to be verses 8 through 18. And I'm going to read those. I'll be reading from the English Standard Version, uh, but you can follow me in whichever translation you have before you. 2 Kings, chapter 6 verses 8 through 18, this moment in the life of the prophet Elisha. Uh, here we are at verse 8. Allow me to read that. Once when the king of Syria was warring against Israel, he took counsel with his servants, saying, At such and such a place shall be my camp. But the man of God sent word to the king of Israel, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are going down there. And the king of Israel sent to that place about which the man of God told him, thus used to warn him. So he saved himself there more than once or twice. And the mind of the king of Syria was greatly troubled because of this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me who of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha, the prophet who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words you speak in your bedroom. And he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and seize him. It was told him, Behold, he is in Dothan. So he sent their horses and chariots and a great army, and they came by night and surrounded the city. Verse 15 reads, When the servant of the man of God rose early in the morning and went out, behold, an army with horses and chariots was all around the city. And the servant said, Alas, my master, what shall we do? He said, this is Elisha speaking, Do not be afraid, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes that he may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man, and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha. Verse 18 concludes, And when the Syrians came down against him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Please strike this people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. Lord, may the seed of your word fall on the good ground of our ready hearts and bear much fruit. 
It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. My father, Pastor Charles A. Brown, was born in Harlem, New York in 1950. Uh, he hardly knew his own father. As a matter of fact, as my daddy tells it, the one memory he has of the man uh, is out on the avenue um, in Harlem, New York. He remembers seeing his mother's white sundress in his eyes. He was maybe two or three years old. He says, that's what I remember. Cars passing by in 1950 on a sidewalk in Harlem, New York. The white linen of a sundress in my eyes. And the voice of my mother, speak, the voice of my mother speaking from above me, don't be afraid of him. He's your father. That is his memory, a white sundress in his eyes on a sunlit day on an avenue in Harlem, New York, and his mother speaking the words, don't be afraid of him, he's your father. Other than that, that man is not much to my life other than a picture that hangs in a hallway in black and white when I was a little boy. It almost came to be so for myself. My mother and father had turbulent years early in their relationship, and that almost came to divorce. However, uh, my father had a miraculous encounter with the life-changing power of the Lord Jesus Christ. And it is through God's word that he figured out he did not have to be what his father was, but God would raise him from the dead. You know, Paul, as Paul puts it, we were all dead in our trespasses and sins. What that actually means is before we meet Jesus, we are the walking dead. But he was made alive in the Lord Jesus Christ. And in this new life, he committed himself that his boys would know him. It's very interesting because each of my brothers and I have a portion of our father's name in our name. My father is Charles Adams Brown. My name is Neeland Charles Brown. And the reason he gave each of us some portion of his name, not only his last name, but we all carry either the Charles or the Adams in our name, is because we would always know who our father was. So he would not be lost to history to us. You should know I did the same thing to all five of all five of my boys. They carry some portion of my name in their name. Why? Because a decision that was made well before I was born shaped the trajectory of my own life. The Lord called them to preach the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and I was born somewhere around the night of his first sermon. My mother went into labor, and this baby boy came along. Uh, exactly 30 years younger than my father, the Lord would call me to preach the gospel. It's been an interesting journey uh, because I see the connection between my father's relationship with the Lord and my relationship with the Lord. And I felt the burden to advance the same work that the Lord called my father to and then called me to. The reason I'm giving you this personal biography is for this very point. If you look at the text that we just read, you meet a prophet by the name of Elisha with an S and an H. But if you look back at first Kings, you'll find out Elisha was once approached as a young man by a prophet by the name of Elijah with a J. While he was plowing a field, a man came into his life and that man said, follow me in this prophetic ministry that God has given me. And that young man decided to hug and kiss his mother and his father, leave his plowing behind and follow this great prophet in God's work in the world. Now you have to know this in first Kings. Uh, at this point in time, the people of God were deep in apostasy. They had fallen far away from God and were following the gods of every land that was around them. And God would lift up Elijah and then lift up this Elijah. 
Elisha as prophets who would lead what you can almost consider a prophetic revolt within biblical scripture. They would be used by God and that succession of prophets that came after them to speak God's word to an entire nation and turn that nation back to God. And here's the good news of the text. Dear brothers and sisters, God is still doing that today. I don't care how dark it looks in the world, how bleak it looks in the world, or how troubled it looks in the world. God is still lifting up men and calling them to turn the eyes of nations back to him. That's what he did. You may remember the story, but if you don't, I'll refresh you. Here it is, dear sisters and brothers. Elijah asked Elisha, Elisha asked Elijah, can I have a double portion of the anointing that you have so I can continue this wondrous ministry that God is doing through you? Elijah's response to Elisha is, you can have what you ask for if you see me when God takes me up. And am I preaching? Just nod at me if you know that I'm preaching. You don't have to say amen, just nod your amen. I take it. Thank you, my brother from Clemson. I really appreciate that. Here it is right here. He says, if you can be there and see me go up when God takes me, you'll get that double portion. And sure enough, when he's caught up in the whirlwind, Elijah throws the cloak and Elisha catches the cloak and he strikes the water with the cloak just to make sure it's working. And sure enough, we're told the water stands up. The cloak ain't broken. God's anointing is on him. And I believe God passes from man to man his work in the world. And God continues his work moving forward. So significant was the prophetic ministry of Elijah, the predecessor or the mentor of Elisha, that all these years later, when Jesus was sitting with his disciples and he asked them that critical question, their final exam, who do men say that I am? In that list of names that was named out by the disciples was the name Elijah. Brothers and sisters, the work that he had done in the world echoed far beyond. It's much like my dear brother shared this morning about Solomon. We remember Solomon's wisdom and discernment because God does a work through men that far exist after them. No one's going to remember the car that you drive. No one's going to remember the house that you lived in. No one will remember the meals that you bought. No one will remember how much money you had in the bank. I hate to be the one to break it to you, but when you go, people start divvying your stuff up, don't they? They've been waiting their turn anyway. It's a whole bunch of family members that won't even stop by today to say hello, but when you read your will, they'll be present and accounted for because they want to see what's in it for them. They can't come for Thanksgiving, too busy for Christmas, don't have time at Easter, but boy, when your money starts getting split up, Lord have mercy, they all got time for that. So there are things that we cannot leave. Can I give you the worst news of all? You can't hook up a U-Haul to a hearse. So that means when you go, you can't take it with you. All of it gets left right here. There's a story of a wealthy man who, when he died, wrote in his will, he wanted all of his money to go with him. He was leaving nothing for his widow. He said, I earned it all myself. All she did was stay home and take care of the kids. She's not having any of my money. When I go, bury my money with me. There they were at the graveside. This widow was standing there looking somber in her all black women standing around her as they lowered his casket into the ground and she stood there and one of her girlfriends said, girl, your husband's gone and he wanted all his money in the casket with him. How can you not be weeping? How are you going to take care of yourself? She said, girl, I'll be just fine. They said, no, no, no. You raised the kids. You gave your life to the family and he took all the money and put it in the casket with him. Girl, you should be rolling all over this cemetery. Why aren't you angry? Why aren't you upset? She said, girl, don't worry about me. I'll be fine. Another young lady said, girl, you had six kids for him. You gave your life to him. You gave him a beautiful home and he took all his money and put it in the casket with him. How can you stand it? And she said, 
said, I'll tell y'all why I can't stand it. I wrote him a check. <laughs> and there he is in his casket with that check. And if he cashes it, she's in trouble. But she wasn't too worried about that because you can't take it with you. All I'm trying to say is God calls us as men to miraculous works that go well beyond ourselves. And the work that God does in spaces such as this, when we give ourselves to worship and the word and devote ourselves to his will, God is doing a work in us as men that has impact well beyond our own lives. I tell you of my own father because even though he did not have his father he had an encounter with Jesus and when he had an encounter with Jesus he dug into Jesus's word and when he dug into Jesus's word Jesus formed him into a father and because Jesus formed him into a father this young man had a father and because this young man had a father this young man could take up the mantle of his father and continue walking forward in God's word I want you to hear this God desires our lives to bring something great he desires our lives to make a difference in the world. Elijah passes on a work to Elisha. And this is going to be one of my great questions for the men who have a few miles on them, the men who have some gray hairs, the men who are a little older in life. The question is this, who is in your life that you're pouring into? What young man is in your life that you're investing in? It's one thing to say that the world is going to hell in a handbasket, but it's another thing to jump in the middle of it and try and catch the handbasket. And what I'm trying to tell you is we got to get in the way of this thing. We got to grab the handbasket before it goes to hell. God desires us to be in the lives of the young men around us. It may be a son. It may be a grandson. It may be a nephew. It may be a little cousin. It may be a little boy at the school. It may be some fatherless young man in your local church, but there is a young man and there are young men who God desires us to pour into because we can show them God's way and we can have an eternal impact on the world through investing in another Elijah invest in Elisha but here's what you need to see in the text it's interesting as Elisha meets this crisis in his prophetic ministry that we'll look at today we find out what the problem is here's the issue okay let me set it up for you the king of Syria does not like Israel. The text lets us know that the Syrians continue to raid Israel. Now, the Middle East is a very compact area. These are small nations all tucked in against one another. And the king of Syria has been sitting, sending raiding bands against Israel everywhere that he can. But there's a problem that you meet in the text. As much as the king of Syria wants to impact Israel and inflict pain upon their military and their king, his plans aren't working. It's saying that he's setting up ambushes, he's placing camps, but the problem is somehow the king of Israel is finding out where the camps are. And this is the reason he's finding out where the camps are. He's finding out because there is a godly man in the midst of Israel. There's a prophet of God named Elisha. Can you hear the king's frustration there in the text? He's so frustrated because every time he sets a plan and he attempts to ambush the king of Israel, it doesn't work because somehow the king of Israel knows 
knows exactly what the king of Syria is attempting to do. He gets so frustrated, he calls everybody into a room and he says, we're going to iron this deal out right now. Who is for the king of Israel? Really, here's the question. He says, there's a rat in the group. There's a stool pigeon in the group. There's a narc in the group. There's a spy in the group. There's a mole in the group. And he plans to work that mole out as quickly as possible. He brings all of his advisors in and he says, who is for us and who is for this king of Israel? Because one of you is talking. But his advisor says, oh, king, here's what you need to know. All of us are on your side. This is the problem. There's a man of God in the camp. Good God almighty. That makes me happy because it means an entire nation is being spared because there's a man of God in the camp. It means an entire army knows the next move to make because there's a man of God in the camp. It means that the king of Israel is still sitting on his throne because there's a man of God in the camp. What does that mean? It means God just needs to set one person on fire in your family. God needs to set one person on fire in your house. God needs one person in your community to get serious about the gospel. God will turn cities around. God will turn states around. God will turn nations around if he can get one man in the camp. King's advisor says, here's your problem. There's a godly man. There's a man of God. Notice how he distinguishes him. He doesn't just say there's a man. He doesn't say there's a fortune teller. He says, God's man is in the camp with the people. And that is the problem. There was a prophet amongst the people and the prophet is having an impact. And I told you I was going to walk through the text. I'll point out a few helpful things along the way. There's a prophet amongst the people, which means one godly man can make a world of difference. And we need to hear that. We oftentimes will not do what God calls us to do because we're worried about numbers. Do you know what we tend to do? We come into spaces like this for a conference. And you know what we look at? We look at the empty seats. God has never throughout the history of scripture been interested in the empty seats. He's interested in the men who are in the seats. You see, God doesn't need numbers. God needs willing hearts. God doesn't need a room full. God just needs those who are in the room to be fully devoted and committed. And God will do the rest. God will make up the difference of whatever it is that we lack. And throughout scripture, you will find God never allows the odds to be in his favor. God never allows the circumstances to look like they should. God never lets his people have enough. Why does God always make us operate in a deficit because when we operate at a deficit and something miraculous happens only he can get the glory let me tell you one thing God is greedy about God is greedy about his glory God doesn't share glory with anybody when God does a great work he wants all the credit God doesn't like anybody taking that which belongs to him and if we put our hand to the plow God will make up the difference because God always gets the glory the first thing we find out from the text is right here one man of God can make a world of difference. But here's what happens. Uh, the, 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 the servant, the advisor of the king says, here's the problem you have, king. Uh, you got a man of God who's in the camp and that man of God is telling them what they should be doing. They're being saved by the word they're receiving from the man of God. And so the king says this. He says, here's what we're going to do. Let's not worry about the king of Israel and let's not worry about the armies of Israel. Am I right in the text? Praise Jesus. All right. So here it is. Don't worry about the king. Don't worry about the army. Get me the man of God. 
Do y'all hear that? Now, listen, uh, I used to play football when I was much younger and much more slender. Uh, and when I played football, uh, we'd get in front of offenses. I played middle linebacker. And when we get in front of offenses, we'd watch what the offense was doing. And when the quarterback would come up, the quarterback would start yelling all these numbers and figures and states and cities and all that foolishness. Blue 42, black 53, orange 16, Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. God bless Peyton Manning. He made that a popular state. Oklahoma, Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Any of y'all ever hear that? Oklahoma, Oklahoma. Sweet Lord Jesus, I got another state in playbook come on now maryland kansas you know michigan where oklahoma 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 but anyhow they yell all of that stuff and as they yelled all that stuff i never cared what the quarterback was yelling what i was watching was what his players did as he was yelling it do y'all hear what i'm saying right there because i wanted to see how the back shifted in formation behind the quarterback i wanted to see what the what the receivers were doing i wanted to see if they were going to split the tight end out or they were bringing him close in for blocking and what i would do was i would watch him yell out signals because as he yelled out signals oftentimes he would switch something in the initial lineup that they had come in they'd show up in one formation he'd yell signals and pieces would start moving and I knew what he was doing he was calling something that we called an audible and what I had to do as middle linebacker was start yelling my assignments in accordance with his assignments and this is what the king of Syria does he says there's a man of God in the camp I can't get the king of Israel I can't get the army so he says forget the king of Israel forget the army get me the man of God he calls an audible now I said one man of God can make a world of difference but let me point something else out in the text one man of God who's making a difference will always find himself under an attack and that's the reason as godly men we have to pray fervently for one another that's the reason why there is no room for dissension no room for gossiping that's the reason why if we hear a brother in the Lord is having a tough time in his marriage, the first thing we should do is pray for him. We shouldn't be interested in exposing his faults. We shouldn't be interested in jumping on the phone or texting the next person and saying, I knew that marriage was going to end. We should be bombarding the kingdom of heaven because each time one of us as men fall out of position in our family, our wives are affected, our children are affected, our grandchildren are affected, our communities are affected. And let me tell you something. The enemy always attacks men who are doing the Lord's work. Okay. The enemy always attacks men who are doing the Lord's work. That's going to happen. If you follow Jesus and if you walk by his word and if you're having an impact on your family, on your community, on your church, on your city, he is coming to attack you. Satan will not allow you to attack his kingdom without responding in kind. Let me say that one more time for anybody who missed it. Satan will not allow you to attack his kingdom of darkness without responding in kind. So any man here who wants to be on the Lord's side and wants to do the Lord's work has to get ready for a fight. You got to have your back straight. You got to have a tight jaw. You got to ball up your fist and you have to be ready to do the work. You have to be ready to take a punch and you have to be willing to give a punch because you will be attacked by the enemy. And every man in this room can say, I've been attacked. Every man who's walked with God can say, I've been attacked. And if there's anyone in the room who says, Satan's quite nice to me. He doesn't ever bother me. Can I tell you the reason he don't bother you? You ready for this? Because dogs don't bark at parked cars. 
Yeah, they don't, do they? Dogs only bark at cars that are on the move. And so if we are going to walk in God's kingdom, if we are going to share the light of Christ, if we are going to do God's work in the world, we must be prepared to come under attack because the enemy is always seeking to bring down men who are spreading God's word. This is why we have to be vigilant. This is why we have to be discipline. This is why it matters how we travel. This is how it matters the conversations we have. This is why it matters what we look up on our phones. This is why it matters what we watch on television because the enemy is always seeking the inroad to bring you down. Why does he want to bring you down? Because one man of God makes a world of difference. And that's why he'll focus all of his attention on one man of God who's making a difference. That's the next thing we learn from the text. He says, here's what you got to do, King. King, they got a man of God in the midst. Here's the problem with godly men. Godly men show up in spaces and make a difference. Uh, there's a school in Florida that made national news. Uh, at this school, they had so many fights taking place that in three days back in October, they had 23 arrests. Any of you hear about this? High school in Florida, three days, 23 arrests. Right, Sheriff? Amen and amen. All of that changed because one father from that high school community called up a bunch of other dads. He got a total of 40 dads together with him and they formed a loose little organization called Dads on Duty. The next week after those 23 arrests, that Monday morning, those men took shifts when they were off work. All they did was get permission from the principal to come stand in the hallway. From that time in October, one week, 23 arrests in three days, Till right now, since they've come back from the break, they haven't had one behavioral infraction in that high school. Those men haven't had to wrestle a single child to the ground. They haven't had to yell at anybody. They haven't had to cuss at anybody. They haven't had to threaten anybody. As a matter of fact, one girl who was interviewed said, uh, the one thing they do do is uh, they give you the look. <laughs> and the interviewer was like, what's the look? And she's like, you know what the look is when you're doing wrong and your dad's like, and you men know you've had to use that look sometimes your children. You know what I'm saying? I know my dad used the look, and that look said, son, if I got to get up from this chair, you're not going to be happy with what happens next. All they do is stand in the hallway. Why is it that what the school administration couldn't do, the school board couldn't do, the teachers couldn't do, a group of dads could show up and do just by being in this space? It's called presence. Because God has given men the ability to have presence. We don't have to talk a lot. We don't have to yell a lot. We don't have to put on a performance. It's the reason my wife is often so angry with me. Because she has to tell our five boys to do something six times. You know how many times I tell them? Once. I got one good one in me. And they know what comes next. Look, and part of it is I'm tired. Been working all day. I got time for this. She run around the house. Don't do that. 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 I get home. I'm like, look, you better not do that. Your daddy is on the edge. <laughs> Sit down, son. You see what I'm saying? Woo. Gee, I be telling him, Lord, have mercy. You're going to meet Jesus. and I'm going to make the appointment in a minute here. <laughs> the enemy will attack one man of God. Because your presence makes a difference in the world. So here's the plan. Find out where the man of God is. 
And when you find out, we're going to seize him. We're going to capture him. So it says, they identified where he was. He's in Dothan. You'll also meet Dothan in Genesis chapter 37, because Dothan is the town where Joseph would be thrown into a pit by his brothers and ultimately sold into slavery. That's how we know that name. Uh, they find out that the prophet is sleeping there in Dothan, and at night while the prophet Elisha is asleep, doing the Lord's work, chariots, horses, and soldiers surround Dothan. And here's what happens. Elisha doesn't get up first. His servant gets up first. And when his servant walks out of the tent, he sees chariots, horses, and soldiers surrounding Dothan. He runs back in to his master, to this prophet, called by another man of God who poured into him, who's now having an impact on the world. He says, Master, what are we going to do? They surrounded the city while we were asleep. Can I tell you one good reason that as men of God, we have to have active prayer lives? Because circumstances change overnight. That night, Elisha went to bed safe. That morning, he woke up surrounded. This is the reason why we must take seriously as godly men the biblical admonition to pray without ceasing. You have to talk to God each and every day. You have to surrender your heart to him each and every moment. You have to ask for his presence in each and every season. Every decision we make, every conversation we have, we should be saturating it with the word and the presence of God and communing with him and listening for his voice each and every day because life changes overnight. And some of y'all know what I'm talking about. One day you have a loving spouse with you. The next day, they've transitioned home to glory. Uh, one day, you're completely healthy. The next day, you're sitting in a sterile hospital room with the doctor just having delivered news that you have four months to live. Uh, one day, you're cradling in your arms a bouncing baby boy who looks a lot like you and has your temperament too. Uh, the next day, that same bouncing baby boy has a heroin addiction and you don't know if it's ever going to end. Uh, that's how life works. Uh, overnight, things shift. You can be happy today and broken tomorrow. It can be smooth sailing today and a storm tomorrow. And here's, here's my biggest problem with trouble. You wanna hear my biggest problem with trouble? Here it is, biggest issue with trouble. I'd be okay with trouble if trouble would just hit me up on Twitter and let me know it was on its way, be fantastic. You know what I'm saying? Be great. If trouble would be like, hey, Neelan, how's Tuesday for you? It works for me. And I'm thinking, could you put that in your outlook? And I'd, I'd go ahead and pencil trouble in, you know, and I'd be prepared. Okay, 3.15 on Tuesday, I'll be ready for trouble. Great, see you then. But that's not the way it works. It doesn't make advance appointments. It just shows up. He went to bed that night. All was calm around Dothan. That morning, the prophet is being shaken awake by his servant, who's saying, we're completely surrounded. And then the story gets stranger, because then Elisha decides to pray. 
he prays two prayers. And the first one is the one that completely confuses me. Do you see his first prayer there in the text? It tells you quite clearly what he prayed right there in that text, surrounded by an army at Dothan. The chariots are there. The horses are there. The soldiers are there. And here's what he said. Then Elisha prayed and said, O Lord, please open his eyes. It's a strange prayer. Surrounded by the enemy, and instead of praying for himself, he decides to intercede on behalf of his servant. My brothers, that's what spiritual maturity looks like as a man of God. And I believe God continues to cultivate hearts in us men that are prepared even in the most difficult moments of our lives to continue covering those around us in prayer. I love the fact that even when Elisha is in the midst of complete chaos, he's still ministering. First thing he tells him is those who are with us are greater than those who are with them. But then he prays for someone else. And I believe one of the ways I know that I'm growing in God is when I'm in a storm in my life and I can remember to pray for my brother who's in a storm. When I'm in a difficulty in my own life and I can still show up at the church and serve somebody else. When my career looks like it's not going very well and I'm about to get a pink slip, but I'm still going to show up and feed the homeless like I said I was going to do. It's an act of faith. Can you see that in that prayer? He's so strong in his belief in the capability of his God that he can serve someone else. And I believe this is the kind of man God is calling Neelan Charles Brown to be. Neelan, how long must I convince you that I'm capable? How long must I convince you, Neelan, that I can hold you? How long must I convince you that you can survive all things as long as I am with you? Neelan, get that lesson. Because once you get that lesson, you'll stop panicking every time something happens. And then I can really use you. Even when the times are tough. I hope you all okay with this. I preach to myself right there. Because sometimes I need to hear the sermon for myself. And I believe I'm arriving at a point in my life. Where God no longer wants me to get scared as soon as the enemy comes knocking at my door. But he wants me to be resolute enough to know that the enemy is coming in like a flood and still pray for my wife. Still pray for my children. Still serve at my church. Still mentor youth. Still be involved in my community. Not go hide in a closet and say, God, why me? If you truly cared, this wouldn't happen. No, 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 no. Elisha says, Lord... Help him. Oh, I love that. It don't get more manly than that. Elisha straight out of his sleep, scratching his chest. I scratch a lot when I wake up. So I imagine he's scratching all over the place, looking around. Yeah, okay. All right. I see the situation. All right. Okay. Okay. All right. Well, all right, Lord, we got horses. I see a few chariots. Got some soldiers with some spears. All right. If you could make time, Lord, help him. He seems nervous about all of this. You know? <laughs> this guy gives a pep talk. Help him out, Lord. Apparently he doesn't know what's going on here. That, that's not a magic trick. 
and, and it's not wishful thinking. It's, it's the same reason why uh, when I was last with you all, um, I shared a little bit about uh, my grandfather, on, the, on my, my, my wife's grandfather, who I've adopted my own grandfather, Bishop Matthew Nathaniel Richardson, uh, who went home to be with Jesus this past August. And uh, I shared with you how uh, sometimes in my own life, um, I love the fact that I had, I didn't know either of my grandfathers, maternal or paternal, so I kind of inherited a grandfather. And I love Bishop Richardson, longtime pastor. Um, the Lord called him home at 95 years old this past July. July 25th of 2021, and uh, sometimes I'd call Bishop Richardson, and I'd call him, and I'd be like, Bishop, I got to talk, and he's like, all right, brother, tell me what's going on, brother, and he, he always spoke like very rhythmically, brother, how you doing, brother, I'm like, I'm good, Bishop, okay, Bishop, I got a problem, he's like, all right, tell me, brother, nothing too hard for God, let me hear it, brother, so I'd tell him, oh, Bishop, this is going on, and this is going on, and this is going on, and this is going on, Bishop, what am I going to do, he said, oh, brother, we going to pray about it, and it's going to be all right, and I'd be like, really, 95 years, that's all you got, <laughs> pray about it, brother, it's going to be all right, and early on, I didn't think he was taking me seriously, but then I began to realize when you've been through the Great Depression, when you fought in World War II, when you faced Jim Crow segregation, when you've established a family, right? When you've been involved in a riot with the Ku Klux Klan where you have to be swept into your home in the middle of the night because they're lynching people in the streets. When you've gone through all of that, at some point you begin to realize the faithfulness of God. And the difference between him and me was I didn't have that kind of spiritual strength yet. So here I was looking at the army. Oh, Bishop, what are we going to do? Oh, Bishop, they go, oh, it's a chariot. It's a soldier. It's a horse. And Bishop could say, Lord, help him. Because apparently he doesn't know how you work. But in all these years, I figured it out. You've got this. So his first prayer is a prayer of intercession. And Lord, grow me up spiritually to such a point. And Lord, pour into each man in this room to such a point where even when we're in trouble, we can remember to pray and minister to those around us. But, but, then, but then after that, there's, a, there's another prayer that gets prayed. Here it is. Okay. So the second prayer that gets prayed, he's going to ask the Lord to do something to them. But here's what happens after the first prayer. I don't want to miss that. And the first prayer he says, Oh Lord, please open his eyes. He may see. So the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw and behold the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around Elisha now two things I want to point out here in the text because we run out of time Pastor Jack got eight minutes I'm leading this thing alone at three o'clock okay I promise are y'all still interested okay we're almost to the finish we, we come to the finish line this is the last lap okay here it is here it is okay the first thing we find out is um, while the Syrians had Elijah surrounded God had the Syrians surrounded that's the good news in the text. It means whenever Satan has your back against the wall, God always has Satan's back against the wall. That was finished on the cross. An empty tomb shows that Satan's back is always against the wall. No matter what he does to you, his back is always against the wall. And part of the reason Satan works so frantically is because he knows he's already lost. He's just fighting and fighting with his last breath to fight against the inevitable that will ultimately happen. He knows he's on his way to hell. He knows the decision's been made for him. Victory took place on the cross. So whenever it feels like Satan has your back against the wall, you can take confidence. 
confidence in the fact that God put his back against the wall a long time ago and God ain't never let up. So with that in mind, the enemy has him surrounded, but, 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 but God has the enemy surrounded. That's first bit of good news. Here's second bit of good news. Uh, if you, if you read the text, you'll notice it's written differently. Here's what it says. It says, and you can check your Bible, just make sure I'm not lying to you, Will. Uh, here's what it says. Um, it says the king of Syria sent horses and chariots and his soldiers to surround Dothan. But when the servant's eyes are opened, it says the chariots of fire and the horses and the hosts of the Lord are surrounding what? Not Dothan. They're surrounding Elisha. I'm preaching now, boy. I tell you what. I'm preaching today. Thank you, Holy Ghost. Uh, uh, The king of Syria surrounded Dothan, but God was surrounding Elisha. Say that one more time. Okay. The king of Syria was surrounding Dothan, but God was surrounding Elisha. Do you know what that means? Okay, this is going to be good. Here it is. Da-da-da. Okay, that's my, it's going to be good sound. Da-da-da. Okay, so here it is. Da-da-da. It means God doesn't surround places. God surrounds people. <laughs> if that ain't good news right there, I don't know what good news is. God doesn't surround places. God surrounds people. And the reason that's good news is if God surrounded Crossroads Baptist Church, that would mean that in order to have his presence, I'd have to be at Crossroads Baptist Church. If God surrounded my home, that would mean to have his presence, I'd have to be in my house. But since God doesn't surround places, God surrounds people. That means when I'm here, I'm in his presence. That means when I'm at home, I'm in his presence. That means when I'm at the airport tomorrow, I'll be in his presence. That means while I'm in the air on the plane, I'll be in his presence. Everywhere I go, his presence goes with me because God surrounds his people, not places. And that's good news. God has you covered at all places, at all times. God's presence is portable and it goes with you the same way you packed your toothbrush. He's going with you. Same way you packed your deodorant. He's going with you. If you packed a snack, he's going with you. Wherever you are, God's presence is with you. The king of Syria surrounded Dothan, but God was surrounding Elisha, which means even when Elisha leaves Dothan, all of God's presence is going with him. Okay, here's how the text wraps itself up. Uh, The Syrians in verse 18 came down against him. Elisha prayed to the Lord. Here's the second prayer in the text. Please strike these people with blindness. So he struck them with blindness in accordance with the prayer of Elisha. After uh, they are struck with the blindness, Elisha is going to do something. They're going to be completely confused in the middle of the charge. Elisha says, follow me because they're blind. They're afraid. They just begin following him. He's going to walk them 10 miles due south and he's going to deliver them to the king of Israel. When he delivers them to the king of Israel, he gives the oddest instructions ever. Uh, The king of Israel asks him, oh my gosh, you just brought me the entire army. What do you want me to do with him? And the prophet Elisha says, don't kill him. Feed them and give them something to drink and then send them home. Oh, my Lord, have mercy. Do y'all know what that means? That means when we call on our great God against the enemies in our life, he'll do our enemies so bad we'll want to help them. He said, don't hurt them, don't hurt them, don't hurt them. They've been done bad enough. God didn't mess them up bad enough. Fix them some food, 
give them something to eat, give them something to drink, and send them on home. And the text concludes by saying it is the last raid that the king of Syria ever attempted. And it's because he had seen the strength of God. And I flew all the way from Wichita, Kansas, here to good old South Carolina, Crossroads Baptist Church. I left all my babies and my bride to tell you one thing. It's not about me and it's not about you. It's about God. Because as long as you have his presence, God will give you the victory in every area of your life. As long as you have his presence, God will show us how to turn this city around. As long as we have his presence, our nation is never lost. As long as we have his presence, our families are never lost. As long as we have his presence, our lives are never over. Because our God is with us at all times. And God told Joshua, only be strong and courageous. But why did God tell Joshua? to be strong and courageous. He didn't say be strong and courageous because you have swords. He didn't say be strong and courageous because you got a great army. He didn't say be strong and courageous because you got all the guns. He didn't say be strong and courageous because you have a great strategy. He said only be strong and courageous because I am going to be with you. And that's what makes the difference when God is with you. Nothing becomes dynamic until it becomes specific. So let me tell you one final story and then I'll take my seat and be out of your way. When I was a little boy, I wasn't very good good at basketball, but I was good at trash talking. And every once in a while, when I was in the neighborhood, I was somewhere shooting basketball. I'd be talking all the trash to all the little boys. My jump shot was terrible, but I didn't care because I could talk about everybody else on the court as we ran up and down. I was the MVP of trash talking. And every once in a while, I'd be at the park in some neighborhood and I'd be shooting baskets and telling this guy how he was terrible and this guy how he ran like a girl and this guy how he should be a ashamed of himself and his mama should be ashamed of him for the way he was playing and I'd run my mouth run my mouth and eventually one of those boys would say man I'm sick of this guy I'm gonna punch you in your face and he'd throw the ball at me and then I'd realize something this is what I realized all them boys on the court knew each other and I didn't know anybody else on the court so they'd all turn around and gang up on me and then I remembered something he who fights them runs away lives to fight another day. So I would start running. That you're, you're exactly correct. I was a coward. Thank you very much. I take that. Uh, when it's eight on one, it ain't no fun. So I'd start running and I'd be running out of the park and they were chasing me and I'd run down this neighborhood and they'd be chasing me up this alley. They're chasing me over a fence. I'm running. They're chasing me. But when I got to my street Dodge drive, I'd be running at a full sprint, but about halfway down the block, I'd start yelling something. Now they couldn't hear what I was yelling because they were behind behind me and I was yelling forward. Here's what I'd yell. Timothy, 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 Charles, 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 Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. And I just repeated Timothy, 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 Charles, 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 Bobby, 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 Timothy, 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 Charles, 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 Bobby, Bobby, Bobby. Now they're behind me. They can't make out what I'm saying. So they think I'm yelling for my life or I'm asking them for forgiveness before they beat on me. But then something would happen. My three older brothers who were in the house would start stepping out into the street and they had this thing they do where they line up all the way across the street, all three of them, and my brother Bob would fold his arms like this. And as I was running towards him, I'd see one, two, three. As soon as the third one got in position, I stopped running. I turned around and I'd say, who wants a piece of meat? Who wants some of this? I'll tear this entire neighborhood apart. 
Who wants the first dibs on me? Huh? You want some? You want some? Hey, tough guy, you were saying something. You want some of this, huh? But the whole time I was saying it, I'd look over my shoulder. Just, just to make sure they were still there. Here's the point of my story. The point of my story is to say, I didn't get any bigger. I didn't get any stronger. I didn't become an even better fighter. Because their presence arrived, I was covered. And because I was covered, I had courage. But I'm 41 years old now. I can't call on Timothy. I can't call on Charles. I can't call on Bobby. But when the enemy comes in like a flood, I've learned as God's man, I can call on his name. And when Whenever I'm on my knees in prayer, whenever my back is against the wall, whenever my family is in trouble, I call out to my God and in my mind's eye, I can see Dodge drive. And guess who comes out in the street? I see the father coming out into the street. I see the son coming out into the street. I see the Holy Ghost coming out into the street. Help me, Holy Ghost. I see him coming out. And when God's presence steps in, the enemy gets a whole lot smaller. When God's presence steps in, I can keep on running. When God's presence steps in, I can keep on fighting. When God's presence steps in, I can keep on serving. When God's presence steps in, I can keep on living for him because his presence makes a difference. Dear brothers, God has you covered on every side. So let us live courageously as men who have been bought with a price by the blood of a lamb and let us fight until the final day when God calls us home and says, well done, my good and faithful servant. Enter into the rest of your master. I have every intention that I'm going to fight until he calls me home and I'm going to leave a mark for his kingdom on this earth and there may be a man who has not made that decision I'll make it simple for you Christ came hung on a cross shed his blood the reason that cross matters is because he took all of my sin And he took all of your sin, every shortcoming, every difficulty, every issue, every stronghold, and he broke it. He died, he was buried in a borrowed tomb, and rose gloriously, conquering death, hell, and the grave. And nothing I have preached this morning works without accepting Jesus Christ. Scripture says, if you confess with your mouth... You've got to believe with your heart. Christ died and God has raised him from the dead. You will be saved. And I would be remiss if I did not offer every man in this room the opportunity to make confession. When you make confession, you say, Lord, I believe you died. And I believe you took my sin up on a cross. And I believe your blood has covered me. And I believe you rose victoriously. And you've conquered the death that has attempted to conquer me. And you've left the gift of your Holy Spirit. That's where the power comes from. None of these seminars work. None of these sermons work without the power of his Holy Spirit residing in each of us. And I want to invite any man to make that decision today. If you haven't accepted Christ, I know Pastor Eason's here. He's willing to walk through it with you. I'm willing to walk through it with you. Any man in here who's accepted Christ is willing to come alongside you as you make that decision today. Reach out to us. Tap us before you leave. 
Let's make that decision together today if you have not. For those of us who have accepted Christ, let's make a commitment this morning. We're going to be like Elisha. We're going to be a man who makes a difference. And as we make that difference and we come under attack, we're going to trust our God to be faithful and cover us every step of the way. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for everything that's been preached from my brother Chris this morning to every seminar, every song that's been sang, every prayer that's been prayed. Lord, make us the men who would have us to be. I pray that during this day you've charged us up, you've challenged us in some wondrous ways. Now, Lord, send us back to our families, to our communities, even in our church, and let us be men of God who make a difference and put our trust fully in you. Thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for this conference. Now, Lord, use us to be a light in a darkened world. It's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. Amen. I'm going to ask if you would just to continue to pray with me. And um, actually, if you'd stand to your feet as well, I'd be, I would be grateful. And let's continue to pray. And maybe today you'd say, you know what, I need, I need prayer. I think we'd also be uh, remiss if you needed prayer and you're here with a room full of men that would pray for you and you slipped out and didn't get that opportunity to have another man pray for you. So if you're here today and you'd say, you know, I, I need prayer. You can come down here in the front and kneel, of course, but, and you're welcome to do that. But if you're even there at your seat and you'd say, I, I, I just, I'm struggling. I need some prayer. Would you just slip up your hand? Would you just slip up your hand? I'm going to ask our teaching pastor here at Crossroads Heath if you'll come up and Corey. If you want to come to the front, you can. Will you raise your hand again? If you're by somebody, and you can look around, guys. If you're by somebody and their hand's raised, keep keep your hands up, guys. That's all right. Could you gather around? They call this body ministry. Everybody look at me. Guys, look at me. The professional pastor doesn't always have to do the praying. Matter of fact, the strongest churches are the ones where the men of the churches do the praying. So could we just end? There's one, one guy. I know more of us maybe are raising our hands. Not raising our hands physically, but maybe they're raising our heart. Could some of you get, just gather around some of these guys and let's just pray together? Gather around, if you would, right there in your row. and You can pray out loud if you want. You can pray silently. God knows your heart. Let's just leave today praying for one another. If we can spend a few minutes doing that, and I'll say amen in just a minute.